lineup planned for this year's IBMA World of Bluegrass Festival that is coming up September 25th through September 29th in Raleigh, North Carolina. So please join me Thursday, August 23rd from 8 to 10 p.m. for a lot of great bluegrass music from artists who will be performing at the IBMA World of Bluegrass Festival, business conference, trade show, and the much-anticipated award show. Plus, of course, a lot of new music that has come into the station in the past few weeks. And it'll all be right here on Community Radio. That's WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. See you Thursday. Support for WERU comes from Village Soup and the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. Stay tuned for Let's Talk Animals. Coming up right now, it's about 30 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock. Here's Let's Talk Animals. Good morning. This is Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. This is Dr. John Hunt, your host, and we are here live on this beautiful summery morning in Orland, WERU 89.9. And uh, we want to encourage some... my listeners to call in today at 469-0500-469-0500. We are live today with my guest Lucy Leaf. We'll talk to her in a moment. I always have to plug my Sunday show, uh, Pet Sounds, which, on, which is on 7.30 in the morning on Sundays. Uh, we got neat um, topics coming up on vaccination titers, animals, sentinels like canaries, uh, who attacks our pets, uh, sleeping with pets. So there's a lot of neat topics that are coming up. So I have to plug that show. Now I'll stop plugging my show and go to this show. Tonight, today we have a special guest with a really interesting um, topic. It's a ride on a, riding on a horse across the country. Mm-hmm. And it's not what you think. Um, when I first talk to Lucy about this. I thought it was just uh, you got on a horse on point A and just rode it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's, it's far more complicated, and I think uh, you're going to be interested. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. So today, Lucy Leaf from Orland, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Glad you're here. You were here about a, a year and a half ago with your sister talking about um, sled dogs. Yes, that's sled. right. Mm-hmm. So you're, and you're one of my veterans. <laughs> So tell me, um, let's just start exactly how this whole adventure started. Um, it, back in 1973, um, a friend and I uh, from uh, a friend and I from the University of Maine had met. We were um, met at the Horseman's Club there, and we decided to do a horse trip across the United States. Well, how did that? It, it started out with a local horse trip. Let's do the Appalachian Trail. And then I said, uh, well, you can't take horses on the Appalachian Trail. And then I said, I always, well, I always wanted to go west. And, um, and so just between the two of us, um, we ended up with the idea of going to Montana. And we chose Montana because um, we had read the, the book uh, by John Steinbeck called Travels with Charlie. Great and, book. Uh, and he actually started his trip, as I recall, in Aroostook County, and he liked the people there in Maine. And um, as he traveled, uh, the people in Montana were as friendly as he had encountered in Aroostook County, and so he said that that was one of his favorite states. So that was enough for us. We said Montana's it. We had never been west at all, nothing west of Ohio, and uh, so this was a big adventure. And uh, we wanted to go by horseback because that's what we love to do is be in the saddle. Now, I'm sure uh, once we get into the story, mm-hmm. um, that it didn't seem like that was going to be your original plan, staying there for, you know, staying in places. So when you guys were sitting down and planning this, uh, what was your original plan? 
And how did you prepare? Yeah, lots of preparation. Two years of preparation. Two years. Yes, yes. Tell, it wasn't just a, that. Uh, you know, uh, think about it tonight and leave tomorrow at all. It, we uh, did a lot of planning, and um, so we. The trip was uh, intended for the two of us just to go from Maine to Montana. It had a nice ring to it, Maine to Montana. And as it turned out, I continued on to California and then stayed there a while and then decided to ride the horse all the way back to to the east coast so a 2000 mile trip ended up to be a 7000 mile trip over 4 years so a summer's journey ended up into a 4 year journey for me um my friend stayed in montana um and became a, a teacher in a one room schoolhouse and is still there uh and i just kept traveling and ended up back in maine <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, yeah, four years later. <laughs> so when you're planning this trip, uh, the original trip, not this four-year thing. Right, right. Uh, you had to think about, um, well, uh, food. Everything. <laughs> yeah, you had to think about yourselves yes. and your horses. Right, exactly. And then yeah. and your route. And we had to buy the horses. We didn't even have horses. You didn't um, have horses. Right. Okay, we both so. knew about We We were um, horsemen. So, I mean, we had... Um, a lot of background. We we knew how to ride. Uh, I was an animal science major. Um, she was a biology at, at University of Maine. Um, we um, uh, we both eventually worked for a veterinarian <laughs> as a veterinary assistant later. And it took two years to to prepare for this. Um, we sat down and prepared a route on the most rural roads we could find. Had to figure out how to get through the Great Lakes. We decided to actually go through Canada, through Ontario, rather than swing south, you know, um, in our country. And then then we had to figure out what was involved in border crossings into Canada out, uh, all the veterinary requirements, how to feed our horses, how to shoe them. We even took a shoeing course so we could do it ourselves, um, more or less. Um, did you carry and, extra yeah, shoes? extra horseshoes, yes. So how it, many did it, you wear out? Um, how many horseshoes did you wear out? Yeah. Oh, oh, how many? Oh my gosh. I never counted, but, um, in the beginning, we could only get about two weeks of wear out of a normal horseshoe, which normally would last two months. And this was kind of, um, we didn't know that, that our horseshoes would wear out that fast. Uh, They would just break in half. Um, and, uh, so the first two, well, the first six weeks of our trip, um, our horses need to be, you know, um, We'd lose a shoe, and then we'd have to find someone to help us uh, replace a shoe. And and, uh, we could do what I call repair and replacement, but it it took us a couple of months to just get our system down. Um, Even though we had taken a... a, a, about a week-long horseshoeing course and talked to a farrier um, that taught the course through the University of Maine, and he went over with us all sorts of stuff that he could think of to help us with our particular unique situation um, where uh, basically we needed to figure out a way to remove a shoe um, and not just keep adding new nail holes to the hoof because the hoof, hoof won't hold up with like uh, a, a multiple board. shoeing. Um, okay. And um, and we finally had a system. I think it took us a couple of months. We finally, um, a, another farrier told us about borium, a hard metal that could be welded onto the shoes, and that saved the trip, basically. Um, okay. Northern people know about it, um, farriers, because they put it on, they use it for the logging horses in the winter, um, big, heavy logging horses. Uh, yeah, to grip a plate? the ice, you know. It's a very hard metal that Did you put welded. on the shoe? Yes, it's welded right on the oh, shoe, welded. on the okay. horseshoe. So it's like putting a, a real durable heel or sole on a shoe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that would people. be kind of akin. Yeah. And that allowed the the shoes um, to, that gave us the wear we needed. And then after that, like, we could get about six weeks of wear. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a, a huge difference, and, and um, it, that really saved the trip. But we had to figure all that out from scratch. And nowadays, you can go online, and, and all this stuff is... Yeah. You know, <laughs> you could be in the middle of nowhere. You have to call, the wheel. Up, call up Amazon, <laughs> right? And, right. And they would have it flown over and dropped. Yeah, this is 1973. Hours. There was no different. internet. <laughs> there were no PCs. There was no cell phones. So, um, so if your if your horse had a flat tire, no, <laughs> yeah, that's right. One of the shoes, and if uh, could you change it? in the middle of nowhere or did you have to find someone to eventually help? we had yeah we had the tools to do that and, and we had the skill to do that to change one shoe but if i needed to have the horse i say i because i continued my trip by myself but um if 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 we needed a a, a horseshoeing 
um, job all the way around, as I say, four four feet, um, then we would get we would plan ahead and get a farrier and find out if they knew how to weld borium and. How'd you um, find the farrier in the middle? Um, well, you know, Ask before around? we left, part of this planning for two years included. I mostly did this um, writing about 200 letters ahead. Um, that's how we c- communicated back then, letters and phone, and to chambers of commerce to find out, I mean, even what the land looked like. Are we going through forested land? Are we going through farmland? Um, you know, we didn't have Google Maps or Google Earth or anything like that. And um, and I, you know, I have to look through all the brochures and decide, yeah, this is farmland, this is forest, whatever. But part of that, um, the other thing was agriculture extension agents through the universities, and um, they put us in touch with um, a lot of 4-H clubs and horse clubs in the area, and that was a tremendous boost because those people sort of wrote to us and said, when when you are in our area, we will host you, we will help you with whatever you need, that sort of thing, and uh, I had a whole list of questions for the chambers and the, and the um, agriculture people, um, like, you know, where could we find a vet if we needed, where could we find a horseshoe, or, um, where can we find a uh, horse feed because we always had horse feed for our horses, our grain. It was, um, we didn't rely on just grass. And, um, um, and Did you carry much uh, yeah, grain? Yeah, we, we always carried, yeah. Like, I mean, almost always we had some grain for our horses. For and there's another days. reason for that I'll get into later. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, um, the thinking then and, and certainly now is that just, you can't just rely on grass on the side of the road to feed a horse that's being ridden um, approximately – uh, eventually, when we really got our pace, about 25 miles a day. Um, and now, if you're only going 10 miles a day, you might be able to. But um, if you really want to make some tracks, and it took us four months to go from Maine to Montana, so that's a good long summer. Um, and um, you know, pretty much from when the snow ends here to when the snow begins there. Right. Uh, and um, it, we you would need to cover about 25 miles a day. So, um, so but with you your, need to add grain to the to the feed. Yeah. So with your contacts with the different 4-H so clubs, the that, that was really your, your big yeah. thing, the 4-H and the uh, cooperative right. extension. Yeah, the that horse was clubs. very smart. That's and, very good. And they, you know, so, so through them they we would have range food. of farrier. Okay. Um, and, and they were, I mean, they would even come to us. We had so much help on the way. Um, I mean, it really added, it really was the success of the trip was the, the other people that helped us that we didn't really expect, uh, but it, it came through and um, they hosted us. They, um, they made their whole summer 4-H project, you know, helping, oh, cool. yeah, helping cool. the two women coming through their area and um, letting our horses rest and getting anything we needed. Um, and, um, um, uh, and if we ever needed a, a vet, you know, we'd at least have phone numbers where we could call. And one time, with we did need a vet. We had my friend's horse did uh, colic way out in um, North Dakota, and that's another story too. But we had to rush into a house that nobody was even home, and we just went in and got the phone and oh, really? <laughs> called like, like door was unlocked. Yeah, I, I don't even I don't even know how we found the vet. Uh, the phone book was sitting right there, you know. Um, <laughs> And called the and and you know quickly a vet was out to us and and you know treated her horse. It, uh, it was a bad situation. She was going downhill really fast and wow. it happened really quickly. So so yes, but that was the only time I actually had to call an emergency vet. Well, that's pretty good for four <laughs> Since months. Since you're a vet, now, you'd appreciate yeah, I that. I appreciate that. And colic is very serious. <laughs> Very serious. Very Colic painful. is a real common thing, and um, I don't know why necessarily, um, but you know we had a lot of different horse feed. Um, as you can imagine, it was pretty much whatever we could get. Right. And, um, so. Um, so you didn't have abscess hooves or no, muscle strains. Um, we or? chose our horses for their good feet. Um, you know, without good feet, <laughs> you don't get anywhere. Um, and my horse had excellent feet, and he had big feet. <laughs> he was a big horse, so big feet. You know, I could actually shoe a horse. A farrier told me you couldn't. Nail, nail meaning, you know, you could injure your horse by um, putting a nail in wrong easily. Um, it's like putting a nail in your finger nail, you know. Right. Um, and um, he said there's so much hoof wall that, I, you know, so I could actually do a shoeing job myself. It'd be hard um, to miss. And I'm not really good with a hammer, so... Um, <laughs> 
I, I got good. I actually had to use a rock for a hammer, so that kind of gives you an idea that you know, how accurate I could be. But um, very resourceful. And, and my friend had a uh, her horse had smaller feet, but just good feet. And it took us a long time to find horses that had uh, that were um, suitable, um, uh, you know, conformation wise. And the, I mean, the first thing we looked at is their feet. <laughs> they have to have good feet, and by that means good hoofs that to put a shoe on. Yeah. So. Big hoof doesn't mean good, good hoof. There's other aspects. Hey, all right, right, right. What else makes a good hoof? Um, well, in the case of my horse, big helped. Um, um, but um, just the overall health of the horse is, is the impression I have. I mean, if you keep your health, horse healthy, and we gave them supplements, we made sure they had all the vitamins and minerals they needed. And after all, I was an animal science major, you know. <laughs> um, and um, uh, so just keeping the horse healthy, just like ourselves. You know, our hair looks healthy, our nails and such look healthy as long as we have overall health. But if the horse is run down and he's only living on grass, um, then everything starts going downhill, including the feet. So, And they get saddle sores. Easy, they get leg sores. Um, so the overall health of the horse. Um, we didn't have to do much. We didn't have to put any special grease on the hooves or anything like that. We just kept them healthy. Right. Yeah. And the nutrition was important. Oh, yeah. Nutrition was, we felt, was everything. And yeah. the, surf, the surface of that you walked on, did you try to avoid uh, the pavement? Right. Uh, back then, there, uh, you did everything to keep your horse off the pavement. It was kind of understood that if, if a horse was walking uh, many miles on the pavement, that that would be harmful. Um, nowadays, um, they have so many different kinds of horse shoes and horse boots and all this sort of thing that a lot more people will ride on the surface without feeling they're damaging their horses. But back then... Um, we made every effort to ride in in the sand uh, in the, on the shoulder of the road. Right. I mean, not only to avoid traffic as well, but um, and um, sometimes I think that that was hard on my horse because it's an uneven surface, yeah. uh, it's sandy, um, and and I used in later years I did my own hiking and walkabouts, as I called them, walking on the side of rural roads. And I said, this is really hard. Uh, my poor horse had to walk 7,000 miles on the side of a road. And, uh, you know, it's uneven. It's, it's slow. Well, the unevenness, the muscles yeah, have and, to keep right. it straight, and your so, hips and your knees. Right. And, and, of course, I always want to walk on the pavement. I said, no wonder my horse wanted to walk on the pavement. Yeah. I had to work really hard to get him to stay on the side of the road. <laughs> so you didn't have any Air Jordans for <laughs> Um, right. Sneakers. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is uh, Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. Dr. John Hunt, your host. Uh, please call at 469-0500. We're live asking our guest, Lucy Leaf, who rode, uh, will soon introduce a horse, uh, rode a horse across country and back. Uh, wonderful adventure. We are just talking about how she was preparing for this uh, particular uh, adventure. And this is WERU in Orland, Maine. So getting back to uh, the horse, so how did you find Igor? Oh, yes. Well, I, at the time, I was living in Connecticut working for a veterinarian <laughs> mm-hmm. and to earn money for the trip. I, you know, I didn't, I had to earn all the money uh, for the trip uh, before and throughout. Um, but, um, uh, and, and I was just checking ads. I was looking for a horse and it, it took a long time. Um, finally, I found an ad for uh, un- unbroken, that means untrained horse. It was older, four years old, which was really good because I had actually trained quite a few horses myself and prior to that. And, um, uh, and at that point, I felt I could train the horse I wanted the way I wanted better than uh, so many horses I looked at had behavioral problems, you know, because I didn't have a lot of money spent on a horse either. And even if I did, a horse, you know, a, a, a horse from a breeding farm, I even looked at that. And they, there were lots of – it was hard to find the right horse. Plus, I'm a tall person, 5'9", and I um, I wanted a big horse. And, um, again, a larger horse, it gets to be more expensive. Back in in um, Connecticut, then uh, they're sort of like hunters, you know, or they're, and they're, they're prized for that. So that makes them more expensive. But I found this horse, a large horse, just for – he was um, not trained – uh, he came from Texas, and he was sick. That's why I got him for a cheap price. Uh. <laughs> he had distemper, shipping fever, they called it back then. And, um, um, you know, he'd already um, – someone else had tried to buy him, and he flunked his veterinary check. <laughs> and 
uh, you know, that veterinarian said he had a defective heart, which is supposed to be a side effect of this distemper. But I was working for a vet, and he, he liked this horse that I described. He was a horseman himself, and he said, I'll go take a look at it. And he couldn't find any heart defects. So I bought this horse with possibly a heart defect and uh, for $150, which my vet had that I worked for said, Offer the price of meat. What can you? What do you have to lose? Cost me one hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and I did. And and with my vet's help, um, I was able to bring him back to health. And he turned out to be a pretty good horse. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously. <laughs> now, when you say uh, on trained or on broken, you mean mm-hmm. he he hasn't been ridden. Is hadn't that what been ridden, okay. right? And uh, but he was a very docile horse. And actually, the um, his characteristic, which should have uh, warned anyone that maybe this isn't the right horse, was um, he didn't like to be caught. Uh, he he really wasn't a sociable horse with people. Um, maybe he'd had some bad experiences in Texas. I don't know, but he just plain didn't like people. Now he's also getting treated for for this distemper, which meant a lot of shots and dis, you know antibiotics and such. So he didn't like people, and he didn't like me. <laughs> so I had to go through a lot of antics to get him to even come to me if he was loose in a pasture. And um, and he was very easy to train, um, exceptionally easy, never, no resistance, whatever, but he didn't have a lot of energy. So here I am, you know, a horse that's Not a lot of energy. Me, he didn't, he wasn't, an, he's kind of phlegmatic horse. And, huh. um, and that's why I chose the name Igor for him. It's sort of like to get through to him. I needed to say something like Igor, you know. <laughs> Get that inflection in yeah, there. Yeah, right. Really, yeah. I mean it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was kind of a, not a real fun horse to train or ride, but. But did you get a connection? Did he connect with you eventually? Um, it took about two thousand miles. It was kind of. Um, <laughs> oh, he was a real exasperating horse. Um, I really, in fact, um, my sister um, Nancy, who's my neighbor now. Um, um, she uh, was the first to really recognize the qualities in this horse. I was looking for another horse when I bought him, and I told her, "Look, I'm, you know, this is not the perfect horse." And, um, and but once she she got um, familiar with this horse, she said, um, "This horse isn't going anywhere. If you don't want this horse, I'm buying this horse, and I will buy you another horse." But I never found a better horse. So. What did Nancy see? Uh, I'm sorry. What was what did Nancy see in um, Igor she, that you didn't? I, well, you know, <laughs> uh, she saw this quality. I saw a stubborn horse, basically, right. not very motivated and such. And she just saw some inner quality that I can't even define. Um, she sort of has a special way with horses. She, she has insight into animals and horses that that um, is sort of beyond my understanding. And and she she saw his qualities right away and just said, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be in my barn forever. <laughs> and uh, so before I left, because I hadn't found another horse, horse um, that was better I put that horse in her name um, so that if anything happened to me because so many people said oh you'll never make it you know you're gonna be raped and robbed and and you know uh, your horse is gonna die and and this is the most ridiculous that's encouraging yeah right right Uh, I've heard that a lot so um, so I put him in her name so that if anything did happen to me that at least you know someone rummaging through my would see that he's owned by someone else and we need to get him back to her or she would uh, retrieve the horse so he always had a home which was very nice <laughs> and uh, and there was all this always this understanding that he would be re- have a retirement back in um, northern Maine when when he was finished whenever he whenever I was finished so um, yeah that's the story of that horse and he turned out to be a very good horse at, but did um, did Nancy feel that it was did you both feel that despite some of these qualities, there were these other qualities that would make Igor a good uh, horse to go on a long trip. Not only physically, he had the big feet, and he was he was large for you, but yeah. actually being able to obey what you wanted him to do. And how about the cars and all the noises, all that kind of stuff? Did you guys know that he would be okay with that before he left, or was it kind of an unknown? Um, you know. I mean, I was in my 20s at that time, and you just sort of went with the flow. You know? I mean, you <laughs> it wasn't know, that well I, planned. <laughs> you know, I'm 71 now. I can look back and I can put all these things together, right. you know. that why? How did this one horse? Now, you know, many people have done long rides, but um, but often they don't – it's not one horse. You know, they, they take several horses. Um, and um, why did this horse go so far? And and I think it's because he had that quality of sort of have his own mind, um, and he took care of himself. Uh, you know, he did what he wanted, basically. 
basically. You know? And he didn't have a need to be around other horses so much. Um, he could travel alone, which is unusual because a horse is a herd animal. And most horses uh, are happiest when they're around other horses. But he could be alone. And that's part of his aloneness, um, his aloofness um, with me, as well as uh, he, he was fine alone, which is an unusual quality for a horse. That turns out to be positive yeah. when you're alone on a road going for days and days and so you're on him right and he was he was phlegmatic a, kind of a slow kind of horse right. not excitable like um, which made him perfect <laughs> around traffic um I say perfect. Uh, I mean, trucks went by us at high speeds, and if I put my elbow out, I would touch. I mean, it was that close. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, sometimes on a bridge or something like that. But um, you know, he wouldn't even flinch. At, at some point, I actually had to get uh, spurs uh, because I, there were times when I needed to get him off the road quickly, and he wouldn't respond fast enough. Um, in the northeast, uh, northwest, for example, um, the Cascades, where there's logging trucks on those back, you know. Um, BLM land or the uh, national forest, and uh, you just have to get out. You have to go down a steep ditch and up a bank. And I mean, I would have to have him move fast, you know. And um, so I didn't have to use spurs very often, but when I needed him, I needed him. Uh, he, he needed him, you know. So, so, um, but he he generally he, I could leave him in pastures when I. Uh, would stop and um, uh, sometimes work or um, go somewhere else and come back and so he's he um, like you know I he, I had to leave him at many places while I would go and earn a living and come back and um, all the way through my four years and he always managed he was always fine when I got back and um, the he caretakers didn't eat complain. everything and you know um, he yeah. got along with other horses pretty well and um, um, you know he, he was a horse that could take care of himself and that's unusual. Yeah. A couple times in your, uh, you, you wrote some uh, little journals kind of thing mm-hmm. that you gave me. He uh, he escaped a couple. He ran away. Oh, yeah. A couple well, times. You know, it so was what's with that? What, what happened? <laughs> it, it was really a hate, a love-hate relationship for a long time. <laughs> I mean, this it was a beautiful horse. I really did like this horse in the beginning, but he was so frustrating. And, I, and many times I... I battled with him and said, uh, you know, you idiot, <laughs> you know, are you, I'm going to trade you in for the very next horse I see. <laughs> and and that sort of thing, you know, get off my foot, you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But, uh, um, but um, you know, it, and he was slow. That my friend's horse was had a nice pace. She was a half Arab, a really nice um, character for a horse. And um, and it took Igor a while to keep the pace that she did. And but by the time we got to Montana, he was he had a good he had a good long walk and a great trot. Now you don't canter much when you're cross country carrying gear as well. Um, and uh, and through the rest of my journey, he had a, a trot. We did a lot of trotting, um, and he could cover the ground. So um, and his walk wasn't bad either. Um, I mean, he 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 got to be a good traveling horse. But but um, um, mentally, um, our relationship uh, did change. Um, I would say uh, once he and I were alone, um, and there wasn't another horse uh, for him to bond with. Um, he bonded with me. I was the herd, and um, and it then we became inseparable. And when we were in areas like the uh, Sierra Nevada high country, we spent a month there. Um, uh, if he got out out of my sight, he would be just running around, whinnying for you know, like just kind of, where are you? Where are you? You know, I mean, it's so different um, prior to that first trip where if he got away from me, I could hardly catch him, and he embarrassed me many times as he would let me just get near him and then he would just walk off not gallop away but just saunter away like i, I don't need to be caught you know and, wasn't there a time where you were walking around <laughs> asking people where you were right right had you seen a horse yeah right. running well, that happened that yeah. happened um, tell, yeah, tell me about happened. that tell a bear that. scared him he's two things he was afraid of bears not snakes or anything like not trucks or any, bears and um believe it or not trash cans but anyway trash um, cans, <laughs> trash cans. Uh, you know on monday morning when the trash is all out and i'm going through a rural area where then he'd have to veer around every trash i never figured out what that was all about but um <laughs> and uh, anyway um but the other thing was bears and i knew if a bear was around because his heart would beat so loud i could hear it you know ka-thump, ka-thump, and um feel it you know <laughs> i'm riding 
Right. Or his ears doing anything? Oh, uh, well, yeah. Um, and, and so one night, now I slept through anything, and one morning I woke up and, and he's gone. Um, the, the tie I had him on um, uh, was completely broken in three places. Uh, bear tra- his tracks and bear tracks all over the campsite, and I, well, I slept through all that. <laughs> so I, <laughs> Probably I just as well. grabbed my feed bag, and that's another reason to have the feed bag, uh, the feed all the time, because that's how I caught him. He loved to eat, and I, that's how I could catch him in those earlier days. Um, and um, uh, with, with offering feed, um, he would come up to me for feed. And um, so I just walked down the road. It took me all day um, asking anybody I could see. It was a pretty rural area in Montana. Have you seen a horse? <laughs> Wandering around. And finally a man said, well, you know, lots of horses in Montana. He says, well, I happen to notice a different horse in the <laughs> pasture down the road, my neighbor. And so there he was inside the pasture. They had locked gates because back then their cattle rustling had just started. And so, you know, uh, everybody was locking their gates. And um, so I had to find a way to get in and I couldn't find the owner. Um, and How did I, he get in? I don't know. I never found out. Someone may have seen a loose horse and just put him there. It's it's hard to say. Um, I doubt he jumped the fence. He wasn't that motivated to jump fences. Um, He probably enjoyed being around the other horses for a little while. And um, so I just um, let myself in, took my horse and let myself out and put the fence back the way I found it and uh, uh, kept going. (laughs) But once you guys got a real good bond, did that yeah. kind of behavior disappear? He, he, he would um, – I slept in a tent mostly, and he um, – even though he's on hobbles where he could move around a lot. Um, right. Well, tell, uh, tell listeners what a hobble is. Oh, yes, um, where you basically tie his two feet together, and he can move so he can graze. You always want him to be able to graze as much as possible, but he can't gallop away, so he could hop if he wanted. But so um, – but he always chose to spend – the night um, after he finished grazing right over my tent. I mean, his his huge hooves were usually about three inches from my head. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. his head was like on top of your tent. Right, right. And, and, and he also knew the feed was in the feed bag was in oh, the tent. Okay. So that, that was you weren't also, kidding yourself. Right, right, exactly. But <laughs> but um, but even yeah. Um, that's where he liked to stay, you know, and, uh, and that's where I'd find him in the morning. But in the early morning, as soon as the first light, he would start batting my tent with his um, muzzle, you know, like, come on, come on, it's time to go. Um, mainly time to eat. But right. <laughs> and uh, so I would always wake to his shaking my tent, basically. Um, There's no sleeping in time ever. <laughs> well, how about uh, water? Was that a problem? Yeah, um, you know, not in the northeast or the north. Um, we actually chose a lot of water routes, some, um, but... Um, I chose water routes as much as possible, but through the desert, it certainly was a consideration. Um, the Southwest Desert was um, was definitely the biggest challenge, of course, um, in distances between towns and um, and water. But I uh, had a rule for myself that I never left one place without absolutely knowing what my next water source was. Uh-huh. And, um, and sometimes I had to work things out, but... Um, um, that was the the joy of the Southwest, though, um, was that open country, no fences. I mean, you just you see a mountain range a hundred miles away, and that's where you're headed. <laughs> a lot of BLM, Bureau of Land Management, open country, um, and just dirt roads, and um, just I mean, just that's sort of the kind of country you ride a horse in. And Were the roads down there? straightforward from A to B, or were they kind of circuitous because there weren't very many no, roads around? Yeah, yeah, there's the mountain range 100 miles away, and you can you see You have to go the... back and forth. Or, or you see one road going right yeah, to the... Yeah, that, well, yeah, I'm not uh. always straight to it, but uh, uh, yeah, that's huge country, um, the, the southwest and, and west Texas, big, big country. Um, sometimes 20 miles between uh, ranch houses, you know, um, uh, homes. And, and I will say that in the west, though, um, uh, say... Not so much the desert, but when they get into the plains country, almost everything is fenced. And um, uh, I, I got a tip um, from uh, at a, at a, a bar, and I didn't hang out in bars other than if that was the only place to get water for me. And um, and just got a tip from a bartender that why are you going this route that you planned ahead of time? Um, you could go a, a different route, and there'll be a windmill every ten miles. You can't miss it. Um, and there'll be a stock tank, um, water. Um, wow. And he says, um, absolutely. And so I had to decide if I could trust that information. And I, I said, well, let me try the first one. And first windmill led to the second.
second one, and and it was a great way to get across the Southwest. Um, just windmill to windmill. <laughs> That's remarkable. Yeah, it is yeah. remarkable. So you went over the Rocky Mountains. Yes, yes. Um, I uh, let's the see. Northern, uh, the northern. In in I was in Montana, Idaho. Yeah. So that's uh-huh. the. But I was on back roads. I didn't do a backcountry trip there. Um, I tried to do a bar, bar, uh, Marshall Wilderness, but there was still snow in July. <laughs> so wow. um, I, I did get my backcountry experience. I always wanted to do that um, in the Sierra Nevada, where I was exclusively packing the horse. Um, mm-hmm. I was walking and packing the horse because I had to carry a lot of feed for a month. We have a caller. <laughs> Catherine from Hamlet. No, from Appleton. Oh, Appleton. I'm sorry. Oh, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Hi, John. Long, long time no here. Right. Uh, but I listen. I'm just so in awe of this woman's chosen life experience. I'm, I'm just so in awe. And I remember hearing about the Huskies or sled dogs last year, and I was in awe of that. Of course, having one, I have a little Husky. But I am very uneducated when it comes to horses, but I always feel sad when I see horses in pastures without even a companion animal. And that, that's done a lot here in Maine. But um, do horses ever sleep down? Do they ever lie down and sleep? So I'll just listen to you off the air. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Nice hearing from you again. Yeah. Uh, so I think the question is, do, do horses do they, sleep? Do they, How do horses sleep? Do they sleep lying down or standing up? Oh, both. Yeah. And and I got a, I learned a lot about that because basically I was sleeping right next to my horse most of the time. Um, and he, um, well, through the day... Um, sometimes we took long lunch hours for you know during in the southeast where it's so hot in the summer, and uh, and he would usually lie down in the day and after graze first he grazes he wants to eat you know um, and then there's a certain period where the eating slows down the grazing and then and then he would often just lie down and rest in the middle of the day but at night again um, in the evening um, he would graze for hours. And then um, he usually, um, sometimes he would lie down at night, but um, usually at night he was standing. Um, and often, like I said, right in front of my tent. Um, uh, but uh, it's sort of an intermittent thing, um, I believe. Um, you know, they would rest a while standing and then graze and then rest. Um, but so middle, middle of the night? It's not like us. It's not like eight hours okay. of sleep like us. It's it's intermittent but, thing. Would like they graze in the middle of the night? Not so much. I think once he's settled, um, he's you know. But it might he might be settled for only four hours or something. Yeah. So because I grazed him way late at night and way early in the morning. So um, yeah, my life was centered around getting as him um, as much grazing, uh, allowing him to be a horse as much as possible, right. which is grazing most of the time. So when when the horses sleep standing, mm-hmm. do they have a tendency to take pressure off? the feet uh, alternate so they're not so they're kind of resting the leg have you ever noticed that yeah i mean he had a stance i recall you know this is 45 years later um where you know one particular hoof and rear hoof you know yeah uh and it made me wonder if there if he needed to rest that part of his body more but um he was very sound throughout the entire trip so um um yeah i recall that particular stance um you know that maybe the way we like to lie on one side right right. (laughs) interesting i hope that answers uh, your question Catherine. thank you for calling Uh, going across the um, uh, going across the Rocky Mountains, the yes. roads uh, even these days, well, they're better. Uh-huh. But back in those days, uh, they were pretty narrow, and there weren't any guard or very few guardrails. Was oh, it, I wasn't was it the highest s- spot. I chose a small. Uh, oh, you so went through the valleys. Uh, yeah, I don't recall my my crossing of the um, Rockies. There was a, definitely I went over the divide, but yeah. it wasn't um, some of those places, the Rocky Mountain National, National Park that you're thinking of. Maybe I don't know that was you know where there's no vegetation or anything like that. Right. It was forested. It was um, you know kind of remote. I think I had to worry about bears. <laughs> right. um, and it might have taken two or three days. It's so much national forest country out there and in the Northwest that that characterized my whole Northwest trip was. Uh, uh, national forest country, um, and I was able to follow rivers a lot. And um, um, uh, it's beautiful. pretty, yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, it was a really a lot nice of the roads follows rivers, and right, it's right. flat and it goes yeah, through the valleys. Yeah. Okay, that the makes northwest sense. was a wonderful part of the trip. I yeah. bet. Yeah, yeah. So when uh, so the two horses got along. 
Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Okay, they, so that wasn't a problem. A gelding and a mare, yeah. They were inseparable. <laughs> so when you got to Montana, was there a particular town in Montana you were go- going for? Was this a big X on your map, like a treasure map, or was it just kind of the state? <laughs> well, uh, no. We uh, we actually had tried to uh, arrange ahead to have jobs waiting for us, uh, and there was a potential job in, in um, the Bozeman area, which is in, in the Rocky Mountains. But when we got to eastern Montana, I call it breaks country, it was so beautiful. It was everything that we thought the West was, even more than the Rocky Mountains, um, cattle country and um, uh, uh, the breaks, they call it, uh, like the Badlands. Um, mm-hmm. It was just gorgeous, all big ranch country, and that's what we were interested in. Our dream was really to not only ride across to the West, uh, but to work on ranches and be around um, the whole ranching, um, riding horses and working cattle and that sort of thing. Um, and that was cattle country. So my friend um, was offered a, a school teacher job. She had school teaching credentials um, and had been smart enough to arrange ahead to get credentialed in Montana. And they heard about it through the media because we were on the radio and everything. Um, And um, they stopped her on the side of the road and offered her a job right there and asked her if she could They just interviewed her on the road. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it wasn't (laughs) even an interview. It was like, can you start the next day? They were desperate for a a teacher way up 40 miles north of a a very small town of Jordan, Montana, in gumbo country on dirt roads, and um, no one else wanted to teach there. It, it was a one-room schoolhouse with three children, and she grabbed that job. She loved it, um, and, uh, and I stayed five years and went to California and came back and then became superintendent of one-room schoolhouses in eastern Montana. And How many schoolhouses was she? Is she? Oh, ten or something like wow, that. Wow, so yeah. she has to coordinate. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, wow. she's just retired from that. Oh, very good, very good. So she stayed there. She stayed there. You yeah. stayed there for how long before you moved on? Uh, uh, well, I stayed, I worked at, oh, about four different ranches. I did uh, sheep herding. I did all sorts of stuff uh, with, with horses, with, with cat, cattle. Um, and then I um, uh, actually um, came back, worked at a racetrack here in the east, and then uh, left Igor in Montana and, um, and then went back out and continued my ride. And I, in the fall, about December, I decided I wanted to continue my ride. I, I, I had... I planned to ship the horse home and to Maine after the Montana trip, and um, the ride fell through. And it was that it was, you know, I said, "Well, gee, I have a good horse. I still want to go on to California. Why not keep riding it?" That was the decision to keep going. It was that flimsy, I guess you could say. <laughs> oh, it's faithful. Uh, Catherine's back on. She has okay. another question. Hi, Catherine. Well, again. well, I just have a comment because I was thinking about uh, not sleeping very much at night. Well, without the security of a barn, I would think most animals, you know, are aware of the nighttime terrors that could possibly affect them. So I was thinking, yeah, the horse is probably ever vigilant at night, really. I mean, witness the bear coming in. So that was just my comment. That's all. (laughs) That's my comment. Thank you, Catherine. Did you notice, uh, uh, well, uh, he ran away one night. He did. So uh, something know, did happen. There were bear tracks all over the <laughs> so campsite. So, uh, <laughs> so there's an example. He right might there. have saved himself. Yeah, he didn't care about you. <laughs> he he threw you under the bus. <laughs> no, but I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't even wake up. So obviously, I wasn't helping him either. <laughs> I'm surprised the bear didn't sniff the grain. I know. In your tent. I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're some not. Things a, you don't know. That's right. And you just uh, that's fate. <laughs> so you you uh, you came back to Montana, and through these circumstances, you started again with with Igor. Yeah. Um, so where did so you went across the, the Rockies and hit California? Oh, I want to ask a question before that. Mm-hmm. When um, you're working on these on these ranches, yes, uh, was there an issue with being a woman in those days in the mid seventies? <laughs> Um, not so much out west. It, here in the east, I remember I tried to get jobs in the sixties and um, with uh, on horse farms in the east, and and they even said we can't have women on the same farm as men. It just doesn't work out. So okay, um, but out in the seventies in the west, um, women and men worked side by side um, ranching, and uh, so it wasn't. Um, now, sometimes they would want a man because they could do things with machinery and stuff that I couldn't do. But if it was just horses and cattle, they. But I was from the east, so they didn't trust that I really knew very much. <laughs> I had to get my um, experience with cattle. Um, so you had to kind of prove. Yeah. To Although them? I had had worked on a plantation in South um, uh, Carolina prior to going out, and I had done a lot with cattle, and um, so I I did know I could help with things like immunizations and stuff, but I couldn't. I didn't really wasn't very good at roping a cat. 
staff or anything like that. <laughs> so, but, so why did they hire you? Um, well, um, cheap labor probably. Okay, there uh, you go. That's good. I was looking That's good for a place reason. where I could keep my horse, and, and yeah. that was, you know, and, and they didn't have to pay me that much. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, um, just an extra hand. I think the most interesting job I had was uh, sheep herding. They just dropped me off. Um, uh, not with my horse. I used one of their horses um, and a sheep dog that wasn't neither of which was very well trained. And a thousand head. Um, they don't call them head of sheep. Uh, I've forgotten our herd of flock. Woolly. <laughs> and out in Wyoming, I mean, uh, miles from anywhere, and um, gave me a few instructions. And first time I'd ever done that. And um, three weeks later, <laughs> you know, they picked me up. I mean, it was I was. You were um, out in the field for three weeks. Uh, yeah, and they came you? once a week and dropped off food, and you, you, know, you never saw anybody. Oh my um, gosh! And it was um, in November. It was cold, um, and I, my job was to ride all day. And the sheep knew where to go. Um, you know, they well, went about from five miles. You know, pasture, one way. Pasture. No, they went. Um, they would go to the water source, to a river, and okay. then back to their pen. And I, I had to have that pen open at dawn and and not close before dusk. And that was. Um, um, you know, so that was, that was pretty interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> that was a temporary job. And I worked at a dude ranch helping hunters. Um, uh, um, you know, they were riding horses and going and getting their elk when they, you know, pack it back and that right. sort of, a lot of interesting wow. stuff, but all temporary kind of jobs. I didn't really jibe with ranchers in Montana that well. Um, as far as staying permanently, I had a lot of neat experiences, but um, I, it just wasn't my kind of place. And, um, uh, you know, Steinbeck loved it and people were friendly, all right. But uh, that's when I decided to just keep traveling. And uh, yeah. If you have any questions for Lucy about Igor and her trip across the country, call 469-0500. This is Let's Talk Animals, Artifacts of Zebras, Dr. Hunt, your host. We're here live, and we're talking to Lucy Leaf uh, and her amazing experience with riding Igor across the country. So we have her uh, getting, we have you getting to California. Yeah, um, right. And and in California, again, I didn't intend to go for, I didn't intend to ride the horse all the way back. Uh, so I had various jobs with horses there, and uh, really, I really loved California. Um, and I had uh, stayed kind of with one family and, and branched out from there, and that's where Igor stayed. And that became my second family, you know, um, out there. And I'm still friends with them. Oh, cool. uh, so I, I enjoyed um, California a lot. Um, I would like to share one story that about Igor um, uh, that where, again, um, I always thought, well, you know, I'm the horse trainer, I'm the horse rider, I'm smarter than the horse. But he showed me one time how, that he was smarter than I was. <laughs> you might enjoy this, this story. Um, on the coast of Oregon, I was riding down the coast, and we were actually camping on the beach, which you can do out there, uh, public beaches. And um, uh, I had been warned about freak waves. And, uh, you know, so one night I um, was camped on a, uh, I looked down it, and the beach looked fine. It was just a steep cliff, but, you know, it, it was a calm night. Um, and so I set up camp, and a stream went right through, so I had a fresh water source, and, and I had plenty of feed for him. And um, uh, everything was fine. Um, I had my dinner in, in my tent, and about midnight or so, or, um, all of a sudden the horse got very restless, and that was really unusual for him. And he's pawing and carrying on, and I so I checked him. Is he sick? Does he need something? I'll give him a little feed, you know, um, and nothing, and uh, I went back to bed, and he just got more insistent, and he's stomping the ground at that point and whinnying and carrying on. I've never seen anything like that before, and uh, finally, I just packed everything up, and I said, he's not happy here. We have to leave, and I went up the steep, rocky trail, and for up on the road, I just threw the tent, you know, put him in a ditch, tied him up, and threw my tent underneath a, a mesquite bush and said, okay, there, you know, are you happy now? And he settled right down, you know, in a ditch. And um, so the next morning I did go back and look at the beach and say, what What in the world was wrong here? And sure enough, the, <laughs> the water line, it was way above the tent. <laughs> and, I, you know, I don't know if it was a freak wave or what, but somehow he knew, or, you know, I mean, he just got real restless. It was perfectly calm night. Um, the tide was still way out, but it had started to turn when he got restless, and I just couldn't see anything wrong. Uh, and you know, and I finally had to concede. Well, he knew something I didn't, and wow. uh, uh, so I sort of gained some more respect for his inner knowledge. Six, six cents. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to share that story because I really, uh, you know, he he taught me a real lesson there. 
And of all those times, you really didn't have any problems with uh, the law, with the police? Oh, no. I mean, generally, uh, did the police no, ever... they were st- my friends. Um, really? Although I can't tell you how many times I was stopped on the side of the road. Um, I After a while, I just got used to it. And believe it or not, asked for not my identification, but my driver's license. I mean, really, <laughs> um, ma'am, may I see your driver's license? And it was all I could do to help from laughing and saying, well, officer, I didn't think I needed a driver's license to ride a horse, but... I do happen to have one, but I, it was always buried way in my saddlebags, and I'd have to go digging for it, and the you know the horse would get you know pawing and stuff, and and uh, and finally they so well, no, they it. always checked me out. They always oh, checked they me out, and then after that, then they were very nice, but they have to be very serious, and you know they have to determine that I'm okay. Um, and uh, but I did mention to you that I one time, and I'll make it brief, but uh, at Lake Placid, New York, um, my friend and I uh, riding. Um, um, we were um, stopped by the police because there had been a robbery in town, and they they had to check us out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean and, and it was all, I mean, I really it was all I could do to help from laughing. I said, "Do you really think that two women riding a horse would be the ones to have robbed the store?" I mean, it, you know, riding slowly, yeah, yeah right, right, along the road. And uh, so, but again, um, you know, once they decided we were okay, then they were very friendly. And usually, policemen were helpful. Like, do you you know have a place to stay? Do you, um, and if I needed a help um, going through a tunnel, you know, I always wanted a, a vehicle behind me with lights flashing. So how did you work that? Yeah, um, I either found a car or a, a policeman, and they were always helpful. And, pe- and if you just stop, you just flagged a car down and yeah. said, could you? Yeah, and then you? I trot quickly. And, and people. Through. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, yeah. As I mentioned before we got on the show, one of the remarkable things about reading about your, <laughs> your ex- exploits is that there's so many people helping. Yes. And so few people not trying to help. That's in other right. words, being, that you know, trying to rob you or right. do harm to you. Right. It wasn't like that at all. That's and, right. And that is such a, uh, a comforting thing to know that our fellow yes. Americans in, in this country do that. Yeah, that well, that's my biggest message uh, about the people is, uh, yeah, I trusted. And, um, I mean, it always worked. It always worked It always out. worked. It was fine. Uh, and a lot of people would think that's just crazy. Um I, and I stayed with some people that, you know, my, if I ever told my parents at the time, they would worry about me. But um, it always worked out. Um, and, uh, I, you know, it served me well, let's put it that way. Um, How has it served you well with the rest of your life? How did this trip serve you? I've always been that way. Um, and um, I'm, I'm not a uh, distrustful person. And, and I'm glad I'm that way. I'm glad I, I've had a life that um, allows me to... Um, think the best of people, um, and um, well, this, this trip sure yeah, confirmed that. Yeah, too. and and if travelers ever come my way, I I always try to see how I can help them too. <laughs> we have another caller, Walter okay. from Lincolnville. Uh, good morning, Walter. Do you have a question? Yeah, I just uh, uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm, I read a book a few years ago um, by the name of uh, the the uh, the title of it was uh, the Last of the Saddle Tramp. Yes, yes, I'm aware of it. Okay, yeah. Did that influence you at all to take that trip? And what was the last question? Did that influence yeah. you? Oh, uh, yes. That was one of the few books available to read before we went on our trip. And um, that's uh, Messany Wilkins. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to mention two other long-distance riders from Maine. Um, and and Messany Wilkins was one of them in the 50s. And she wrote that book when she finished Um and uh, her circumstances were quite different. She was 63 years old when she left Maine uh, and ended up in California two or three years later. Um, and But she had to leave. She It was November, and her home uh, was being repossessed by the bank. <laughs> and she had $63 in her pocket. And um, she basically um, put her faith in the Lord, so to speak. And um, it was quite a story. Um, and I did learn a couple of things from reading her book, and that is never to camp in a, um, uh, what do they call out west, uh, like an Aurora, um, you know, a dry riverbed, because uh, yeah, she got floods. nearly flooded out by a flash flood, uh, which I had never heard of before I left Maine. And um, a very interesting story. Also, one of her horses unfortunately died of tetanus, uh, stepping on a nail. Um, so there were, yes, that was an incredible, that's still around that book, uh, and another rider recently uh, rode in commemoration of Messany Wilkins, and I helped with that end of that ride. And we all met at Minot, Maine, where she started. 
And, yes. And um, there was a little celebration, and that was just like two years ago. So thanks oh, for that yeah, call. Yeah, That's... I, I, yeah, I just I remember that book from years ago, and uh, I heard, I was listening to your story yesterday. It must have been, I mean, I would, I would hope that you had read that book, because <laughs> uh, obviously different circumstances, but uh, same thing. Um, ventured, uh, you know, yes, uh, feeling to venture out, and that's still around. That book, it's in some libraries. It's even being used uh, uh, for a book club, I understand, because her faith uh, was uh, kept her going, and she had many challenges. Thank you, Walter. That was okay. yeah, very insightful. You. There are other long writers. Yes, um, yes. I don't know if you you consider yourself a long writer uh, because of the time it took. You did your long writing over four years, but are there other, there's a whole group of people called right. the Long Writers um, Guild. Yes, I guess. right. Can you, uh-huh. we have a couple minutes you want to just share, yeah. or uh, any I other stories, that. though? I don't Yeah, to... no, th- I'd like to mention, uh, things really changed. Um, see, when I was writing, um, oh, okay, when I was writing, um, I thought I was, you know, there just weren't very many of us um, out there. In the 90s, um, well, I'd like to mention that there was another horse rider that um, from Maine who rode his large horse also, not 7,000 miles as I did. He rode 14,000 miles. So there was Messany Wilkins in the 50s. There was me in the 70s. And then this man um, who's from Maine, and recently I um, tried to look him up, and, and unfortunately he has passed away now, um, but he was living in Stonington, which isn't oh far. So anybody yeah. in Stonington, I, this man called himself DC Vision when he was riding his giant um, Shire horse, a uh, big um, um, draft horse all around the country. Uh, and it took him four years to ride all that distance in the 90s. And um, But his name was D.C. Clow. I just found out this morning, Clow. And his mother lived in Stonington. Um, so any listeners out there from that area, um, you have a famous person in your midst, <laughs> or good. you did. Um, and um, uh, I, I wished I had had a chance to talk with this man. We would have had many things in, in, um, in common, but I understand he's passed away. So um, uh, at, at a young age, unfortunately, 47, I think I read. So, But he was also a founding member of something called the Long Riders Guild, along with some other Europeans who had done incredible uh, international-type rides. And they started this uh, organization called the Long Riders Guild. And this is where the Internet comes in. Um, and people from all over the world who have ridden, um, not only in the United States, but all over the world, uh, incredible rides, um, 30,000 miles, um, Patagonia to Alaska, things like that. Um, he, this man um, in France now, has compiled these stories, and it's, it's the Long Riders Guild. Um, anybody can go online. It's an incredible website. They don't sell anything or uh, make money on that. And he's written a three-volume encyclopedia um, called the Encyclopedia of Equine or Equestrian Exploration. It includes the spiritual aspect, the historical aspect, um, geographical aspects, and it's just an incredible volume. He's even written a handbook for riders, and he coined the term, this group coined the term, long riders for people who have done rides over a thousand miles and they invite people to become part of the guild there's no money involved or anything and so they looked me up years later and invited me to be uh, a part of the guild (laughs) and i'm called the long rider along with many others who've done these incredible rides and it's a real resource for anyone thinking about a horse ride in the future and many people are doing it right now and he emphasizes uh, now gaining knowledge and experience rather than the actual miles. Oh, absolutely. Which is really yes. cool. Very, very cool. And that's what he you did. Has a code of ethics uh, about how you conduct yourself, how you take care of your horse. Uh, if there's sponsors, that you make sure that your the money goes to you know your cause, and and that's a big thing now. A lot of people have sponsors and causes, which I don't. I never wanted to do, and neither did DC Vision. That's something we have common. You know, we just we're doing a ride for, for our own. Um, yeah you know, our own adventure. I think I have a a minute left. Is there a um, particular weather event that stood out in all those four years that 
just was maybe a, a storm uh, outside of, uh, outside of Death Valley. Uh, that was a little scary because I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> did it come on so real quick, real quick? And, and I was way out there, and I had to find a rock formation to hide behind and put something over my horse's eyes and hide my head. And it just came and went really fast, but great big yellow cloud, and <laughs> that <Wow>. was that. <laughs> so snowstorms or um, yeah, I think I did ride in a snowstorm. But those weren't um, as scary and, as yeah, a sandstorm. Nah, yeah, that's right. Tornadoes. Uh, I, we had to worry about them. Nothing came close. And okay. um, yeah, yeah. There's one part. Um, uh, you're talking about some going in snakes. Yeah. Oh, I was scared to death of snakes. My horse was not. Um, and yeah, I always uh, uh, shook a stick ahead of me when I was walking down by rivers and stuff. And uh, I've been scared many times by snakes. <laughs> well, thank you, Lucy, for sharing your trip with uh, with uh, Igor. This was fascinating. Uh, thank you very much, listeners. Uh, we'll see you next time. Remember, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. <laughs> Support for WERU comes from our listeners, volunteers, business supporters, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. To find out what you can do to support community radio, go to weru.org. Thanks.